pushback on the name at all from the publisher? I got pushback on the original name. Oh, was the original name more the controversial? The original name was distributed. Oh. How the digital economy works and how it should. Okay. That's a that's like that's a title that a book like that would have. Right. Distributed. Yeah. In other words, and I thought that the like, word distributed would really be be both super accurate and super challenging at the same time. Yeah. Because what I'm arguing is that digital technology networks are distributed. Sure. And our economy is not. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That, that if you want a digital economy that is consonant with the operating system that we're living on, it needs to be distributed. If you use a, a an extraction model, an extraction business model, an extraction economic model, which is designed to draw money up from the people in the land up to the coffers of the rich, you're going to get extreme negative results. Mm. Now, they didn't like that because they thought distributed is boring. It just sits there. People don't know what it is. So then I thought everything gets distributed. They wanted something a little edgier. Right. So then they looked at the chapter titles that I had, and they really liked the one about corporatism, which is called The Growth Trap. Mm-hmm. They go, The Growth Trap. That's really it sounds cool. sounds like a Malcolm Gladwell book. Right. Well, that's exactly. That's what they like. <laughs> so they, I said, all right, sure. It's At least it's in the book. Call it The Growth Trap. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, a growth trap. Uh, and then they had a, the subtitle of something like, you know, a new, uh, uh, a new agenda for the digital economy or something like that, or a new agenda for business. Yeah. And, um, and but that sounds like the, a, a, a economics 101 book. Well, it's, well the reason they like, and then they, they did this cover that was the words growth trap making this weird funnel, okay. you know, but really big. And yeah. it was like, this is the airport kiosk book that's going to, Target the the worried business guy who understands, right, the growth trap. I'm in a growth trap. Everyone's making me grow. It's a bad thing. And I'm like, well, yeah, but um, it just feels it, – it, not just that it felt like – it's not that it felt too craven or whatever for me. It's that it didn't – Look and feel like what this book is. Well, I, I picture this. I picture this guy in a you know a business traveler picking it up and just not like what's he what what is what is he gonna what is like a guy working from a you know a like a Fortune five hundred company gonna do with the book? Right. Well, it's there's a bait, there's him. a bait and switch in there. Yeah. You know the guy from the Fortune five hundred company. You know does want this book? But because, this isn't like how to make money book. Right. So we can't make it look like that. It is for those guys. Look. There is a way to pivot your business yeah. toward what you know it actually needs to be. Most of the CEOs who talk to me, and I talk to a lot of them now, they call me in and close the door and sometimes even weep with me in their office because they know they are killing their business by focusing on the quarter and by trying to deliver quarter over quarter growth to shareholders when they have this dream of creating value for people, when they know – well, that's You're interesting because you know, I like I, I, and again, I've I've only been able to read it like piecemeal thus far. Um, but it's you know, it, it, there's a, there's a theme in a lot of your books, and it certainly holds true here, where it's just almost this kind of idea of like digital altruism, or at least like better living through, you know, the the online economy. But is there a way for you to talk to? somebody who owns a big successful business and tell them like this is ultimately better for your bottom line yeah that's exactly what i'm doing though mm. i mean that's what there's the whole chapter on this which is really helping them understand uh revenue in terms of 
really increasing the velocity of money, yeah. increasing the number of transactions rather than pulling money off the table. So right now what they do is they'll, they'll say, oh, good, we see this money, and they pull it off the table and stick it in their share price. But then there's less money for their actual business. They, yeah. They've drained the marketplace that they need to work with. So when I talk to, and I do now, when I talk to people at Walmart, I explain to them, look, you've got to think in terms of economic development. Yeah. You have to yeah. develop the communities in which you yeah. want to operate because if those are not healthy economies, you're going to die. I was in a, yeah, I, a, a few years back when, when I was at Engadget, I did a story on uh, Ron Wayne from Apple. He lives in Pahrump, Nevada. Uh, which is like an hour and a half outside of Las Vegas. And it was this really surreal experience. You know, I spent four days there and the economy is uh, two casinos, no supermarket, just a Walmart in the center of town. Like the Walmart is kind of the economy for the town. And that's sounds like the least healthy economic model in the world. Yeah. Well, especially because the net effect of a Walmart and this is not to say they're evil. It's just the operating system they use. The yeah. net effect of a Walmart is to extract money and value from the communities where it operates. That's traditional corporatism. And it it's it once you understand the operating system and say, okay, once we have debt, we've got to pay back more than we've borrowed. And in order to do that, we've got to drain something from where we are. We've got to grow somehow. Yeah. And uh, once you start looking at digital technology and how it works and understand the, really the, the media environment that's created by digital technology, you can say, whoa, you know, what about instead of taking this dollar off the table and sticking it into share price, mm. what if I can earn this same dollar 10 times? What, you know, what, and that's what you do, basically. You circulate money. Yeah. It's, this, it's what, you know, what, what local currency people call the multiplier effect or what the, the – uh, retirement funds of the unions understand. You know, when you look at the steelworkers' retirement fund, what they do with it is rather than stick it in S and P funds, yeah. they invest in projects that hire steelworkers. It's like, duh, what a great idea! So now you're investing in something that you're going to get the capital return, but you've also created jobs for your own people. And then they go triple. They say, well, why don't we? Invest in projects that hire steel workers to build homes that steel workers hmm. will ultimately live in. So now they're becoming their own customers. They create these all these virtuous loops, and the same dollar ends up going to them three different times. So, so the the I mean the the, the economy is made up of a lot of really small ecosystems in the system. Well, a lot of bounded yeah. ecosystems. Some can be big, some can be small. But right when you stop thinking about taking money out of the game and think instead about how do we keep it in the game that's where it gets interesting and that's it's basically yeah. as we move from you know a, a society based in agonistic play you know the good old-fashioned games closed games with winners and losers that end yeah. and move towards the more infinite game of games that we play like fantasy role-playing games and game of thrones that are more open-ended that we want to see how long can we keep open the game world, going yeah open worlds exactly when you're in open worlds now you're in an economic model that's striving towards sustainability rather than end games because it's got i mean it, it needs to it, it's self-sustained but it also obviously needs to interact with the outside world because the thing that you run into and, and i remember like a i don't remember if it was your last book or, or two books ago you sort of talked about the idea of the local economy almost a mm -hmm. local currency but that the you know the 
a very similar model to that, but yet the complete antithesis is the kind of the factory town, right? I mean, that's the worst possible version of that where, um, you know, the, the, the industry that controls the town is the one that's basically controlling the currency and you're buying all of your goods through the factory store. Right. Unless, of course, the workers own the factory. Mm. <laughs> if, it's a, if it's a platform cooperative, yeah. I mean, if you yeah. had, you know, Uber, if Uber's drivers owned Uber, yeah. which would be so easy, yeah. right? The, the, the billions of dollars invested in Uber don't help Uber operate, right? If anything, that's what hamstrings Uber. That's yeah. what forces Uber to think of itself not even as a driving company, but as a pivot to a pivot to a pivot. You know, they, they've got no way out but explosive, you know, world annihilating growth that's a good point but you know and and it's actually something that hadn't really occurred to me till right now but the, the speed with which they turned from a car service into a food delivery service was incredible right i mean you know yeah. they've existed for what two three years at this point yeah something like that and they're but, already they've already got three four different business models right well they've got to do they can't make Diversify. the twitter they can't make the twitter mistake Right well, now, Twitter, I was I yeah. was going to talk about it. this is this is I mean your timing was kind of impeccable, I and I you you must have been just writing up to the wire on this book because you know particularly people are really talking about this in in, in the last couple of weeks with regards to Twitter and there's this big executive turnover and you know a year or two ago like Twitter was it like how did that how did that all implode so quickly I know it's interesting that the problem with my books is I mean they're accurate. But when I wrote this section on Twitter yeah. in this book, that was a year and a half ago. Okay. Right? So I turned in this book a yeah. year and a half ago, and then it goes through all that stuff, and now finally it's out. So it was obvious to me. I mean, and I just wrote about it emotionally. You know, I wrote about, oh, when I saw my friend Evan yeah. Williams on the cover of the Wall Street Journal with the $4.3 under his face, I realized, ah, oh, Evan blew it. That's sort of like, it's, it. it's almost like a mugshot with his... <laughs> It is. His prisoner number underneath it. He blew it. it. I mean, not that he blew it to get $4.3 million. Yeah. That's cool to have that. God I'm sure bless, that you know? he's, you know, I'm it's sure cool. he's, he's going to do fine. good things. He's yeah. going to, he's donating a lot of yeah. it to, uh, I mean, he took too much to begin with is the problem, but he's donating it to sure. farms in Iowa. You know, he's into a lot of issues. He's going to try to do good, just like uh, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates are trying to do good and Zuckerberg's trying to do good. Yeah. They took too much off the table is yeah. the problem. You can't just basically rape an economic ecosystem and yeah. then go, oh, now here, I'll put it back. Because you're putting it back now. This is very – now they're like communists yeah. or socialists. Now you're putting it back by the decisions that you think are appropriate rather than letting the market or the government distribute but, things appropriately. But do you th- – I mean do you, do you think that they actually know what's happening when it's happening? I mean that, that, that sort of stuff is so subtle. It happens so quickly. They blew it. But they should know the second or third time they go back. So Evan, yeah. I think – after Google and and blogger and, and, blogger and, and everything yeah. else, he he should have known what's going on because what happens is I mean for for listeners who are, haven't really kind of followed the story what happens is you have a great 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 app like Twitter which is really really great at at sending 140 character sure. messages to people anywhere in the world and great world chaining right. applications that nobody could have anticipated right. and not just good for the world yeah. but an application that in its current state can make 500 million dollars a quarter <laughs> they can make half a billion dollars a quarter or 2 billion dollars a year with a messaging app of 140 characters mm. a teeny little baby little sweetie little app and that's a failure 
Yeah. And the reason that's a failure is because they took $50 billion of investment from people who are expecting 100x, meaning 100 times return on their money. So was is, is Twitter a success? Yes, it's, it's yeah. a success, but it it just used an obsolete, basically 13th century economic operating system as its rule book rather than saying, how do we take as little money as possible and make the most successful company we can and ultimately make more money for more people? I mean, that's that's one of the problems with forward momentum, right? I mean, once once you once you hit a certain level of success, if you don't maintain or exceed it, then you're a failure. You're a failure only if you're in a growth based business. Yeah. If you're in a family business. Sure. You know, and there are many family businesses out there. Some that get very, very big. You yeah. know, um, if you're in a family business without public shareholders or without uh, investors who can who can leverage you, um, you make more money. They actually hmm. do. Family businesses. I showed the research in the book. Family businesses, even though they don't tend to uh, uh, profit as much during short boom cycles, they don't bust. You know, and they make more money uh, overall. You know, because they're doing slow, steady growth, and that's because family businesses are thinking in terms of sustainability of the business. They want it to be around for their grandchildren. You know, you could basically think of business in two ways. One, do I, I can either extract enough money from this business in order to give my grandchildren a bunch of money. Yeah. Or I can make a business that's strong enough so I can give them a working, living company. Which do you want to do? It's 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 a very kind of in a way kind of almost an anti-capitalist notion. But do you have to when you're setting up a business? Do you set growth caps? Do you set like parameters? You you know is is there a size that you can't really get beyond and maintain that model? I mean, you know, it was it was going public that. It sounds like it was- you can get the you can grow a business based on supply and demand yeah. as big as there's demand for it. That's fine. But you can't artificially grow a company simply to please shareholders who want to make a certain multiple hmm. on their investment. You know, if you're if you're strategizing your business based on its debt structure, you're screwed. If you're strategizing a business based on the the uh, available uh, value creation by your by your market, you're you're on easy street, you know. But that that's the problem. We live in uh, uh, really since kind of since the the since it began, but yeah. certainly since the '80s or '90s when Jack Welch decided to take GE and he said, "Look, we make maybe ten percent." on our investment when we sell a washing machine. But we make maybe 40% our our investment when we lend somebody money to buy a washing machine. Let's get out of the washing machine business and into the financial services business. You know, once people like that started to make that choice, we ended up in an economy where the financial services industry drives all of the other ones. You know, so we've we've uh, uh, we've We've raised the importance of capital, 
but we haven't raised the importance of labor and land along with it. You know, those traditionally, and, and this is economics 101 that everybody, all these yeah. CEOs learn. There's three factors of production, land, labor, and capital, and sometimes entrepreneurial effort. But land, labor, and capital is what you need. You need people to work. You know, you yeah. need a place and resources, and you need money. But if money is the only thing that matters and the other two end up really, really diminished, and, and that's what we're seeing. People can't get jobs, and we're destroying the planet. Let, let me use a really terrible analogy, but you know, I, 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 was, I was listening to a conversation between two people, and they were talking about uh, using the, the, the a public restroom and whether or not you know the little like uh, plunger handle thing on the toilet, whether you use your hand or your foot to uh-huh. flush it, and you know, and and the, the consensus was that you use your foot because. Other people have used their foot, and once one person has used their foot, right, you don't want to use your hand anymore. And, and and I'm wondering if that sort of applies to the economic structure right now. That if not everybody is playing by the best possible rules, if everybody is kind of screwed. Well, right. If you understand, you know, uh, the story you kind of point out is almost like one of those tragedy of the commons yeah. kind of stories. So it's like if you're Going to the toilet men's room, right? And if people are not lifting the seat, right, and then they're getting pee all over the mm-hmm. seat, then you're less likely to lift the seat yourself because yeah. lifting the seat means getting, getting pee on your pee hands. Hand. Yeah. So then you're going to pee with the seat down and make even more pee and make the situation sure. worse until the whole place is just yeah. a pee and poop fest of horror, right? Now, that's supposedly the tragedy of the commons. It happens when you don't have any enforcement of mm. the 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 – preservation of the common resources so yeah you know if you if you live in what you think is this uh darwinistic evolutionary dog-eat-dog world then yeah the bathroom's gonna get spoiled and the economy will get spoiled yeah i mean this is this is the this is like the constant back and forth in economics right is is and, and i because i think we haven't tried either way in in a completely absolute way Everybody is convinced that their way is better. Like you know, I, I, one side is so invested in the idea of the invisible hand that any you know any lack of success that we've had has been based on regulation. Yeah, but even them. Yeah, let's go though. Though I'll be fine to go with them mm-hmm. with the the deregulation frenzy of the Uber. Yeah, if we actually deregulate. Well, that's so the let's, thing, let's right? Take I mean, you away have to the go... regulations that that they're depending on to maintain yeah. their unfair monopoly. Yeah, you know, which is let's deregulate currency so anybody can make a money. Let's compete with the Fed. Let's make some cheaper money. Let's make transactional currencies rather than currencies that just favor Uber. If there was more than one kind of money, then Uber and Amazon and Walmart couldn't maintain their monopolies over our economic activity because they get money cheaper than you and I do. You know, in order to do that, though, that's been sort of like okay, let's just hit the restart button on everything. Let's privatize every single industry and then we could try it out like that. But is there – do you feel like in, in the model that you've set out in the book that this is something that we can do gradually that, 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 that we can kind of implement at this point and have slowly roll out over time? Yeah. I mean that's why it's easier to roll out innovations Locally, mm-hmm. than it is to make some, you know, to get Bernie Sanders in there to proclaim something and change the but, whole. But don't all, but all innovations start locally in some sense, right? Yeah, which is which is a good thing. But it could be locally, or it could be um, alternative business models. So you know, someone can develop and and like Lazoo's say, yeah. you know, let's try Uber where the drivers own the platform. You know, or you just 
tweak the model or Bandcamp instead of iTunes. You know, you just play with it. And then, yeah, you can still end up getting screwed. So LendingTree comes along and tries to create a peer-to-peer lending model. And what what happens is banks go in with algorithms yeah. and scoop up all the best yeah. loans. Yeah. Um, so it happens. Or you get a Kickstarter that pushes against it, that has patient investors and Yancey Strickler and people who decide – we're actually doing something else here. I'm wealthy enough to wait this out and to see how it goes. Um, and he's ending up creating a lot of economic activity that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So it's not an it's not an all or nothing thing. There are ways to compete against that. And w- the way it will work is those who have created sort of more sustainable and ultimately resilient business models will be the ones that survive during the inevitable crashes. So when the next dot-com bust Mm -hmm. happens, yeah, all of the super highly leveraged Ubers die, and the ones that actually have uh, economic ecosystems uh, will will survive. I guess guess the question then is, you know, how, how strict does regulation need to be? Because when you look at it's it's really funny that Google is, you know, the th- the title is throwing rocks, you know, at, at the Google bus because this is a company. And I was having a conversation with somebody about this a few weeks ago that I do think that as a company, they genuinely tried and and to a degree still try to adhere to the do not be evil. Model, yeah, right. I mean, they're they're genuinely trying to do good in the world, but you get to a certain size, and it's. Hard not to be a little bit evil. So how they didn't just get to a size, yeah. right? They reached for a size, sure. And then Google decided, okay, we're going to become a holding company. Yeah, you know, they did what H, what Harvard Business School tells you to do yeah. when you reach, you become a holding company. And you know, then like Squib and Lilly and all the pharmaceutical companies, they don't do their own innovation. Yeah. They just buy other companies. Was was is Alphabet a huge turning point for the company? Yeah. Yeah. It is a huge turning point for the company because now it's it's gone from being a disruptor, if you will, a potential disruptor. I mean, back in the day when Google came up, yeah. it was can our peer-to-peer links matter more than the uh uh the the table of contents uh the top-down table of contents of Yahoo. That was the battle. Remember? I, yeah, I, I guess. I guess. I, I guess. I, I want to ask exactly what you mean by disruption. I mean, that's a term that's bandied about a lot, and obviously, like Google in all of its forms is going to continue to disrupt different right. models I in mean, some real way. Disruption. So you know, Twitter disrupts journalism or communications, yeah. but they're not really disruptive because they go running to Daddy at Goldman Sachs sure. and say, you know. Get me my IPO. Yeah, you know, so they're not disrupting the underlying operating system. And and you know, and like every other aspect of the internet, it's just become a channel with which the larger companies get their message out. Right. They do advertising and data mining. But but also like you know also like in terms of journalism, CNN is still kind of the biggest name. Right. I mean, but there was there was there was a a, a disruptive possibility there that they didn't that that they ended up in their business model just reinforcing traditional venture capitalism. Google, if you remember when they had their IPO, they got everyone upset at Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs by saying, oh, we're going to do an auction. We're not going to let you set the price. We yeah. think, you know, and the Google auction was was consonant with the Google model of search results. You know, it was sort of the same sort of technology. Yeah. We're going to let the crowd figure out how it goes. And that, to me, 
was a sign that, oh, my God, they're going to be different. They're actually going to go. They are going to, um, you know, to some extent, at least at least incrementally change the way this is happening. But, you know, by the time uh, um, um, what's his name came in, uh, Eric oh, Schmidt. Yeah. yeah. By the time Eric came in, you know, whether he's a CIA mole or God knows what, you know, by the time he came in and and kind of took charge of the company in the. In the in the more scully way. Well, he was on Apple's board at the time that he took the company yeah. over, which was always a little suspicious. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows exactly what his real function was? But he legitimized the company on a yeah. certain level, and then he was the grown up in the room. Yeah, yeah, and you know, once the grown up's there, it's the grown up is there to enforce the status quo more yeah. than it is to to innovate or create uh, create new models. Are you – I mean, you know, I, I, one, one of the things that, that, that I most appreciate about you is that you are – you're an optimist generally. I mean, you, you do see the, the potential for, yeah. for good in these things, but it's so – optimism is really tiring when you see the same model played out over and over again. Yeah. And I think the last time I talked to you, we – you know, we were already at that point – this was already, you know, a couple of years ago now, but we were talking about um, all of these questions surrounding Kickstarters, all of these questions surrounding, like – you know, I think like the Zach Braff movie had just come through, and mm-hmm. like, and and what happens to this really beautiful, wonderful, potentially great model when bigger companies are coming in? But you know, you you wrote this book, and you you um, you, you mentioned Yancey, and and I think you thank like Slava in the, I don't yeah. know, he's not at Indiegogo anymore, but but it does seem like you he's still he's not have, at Indiegogo anymore. I think he just left in the last couple of weeks. He started it though. Yeah. He step, well, he's not the CEO anymore, at least. Oh, so he's still got his shares I'm sure or something. he's still involved. He didn't just, like, go broke. No, 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 no. Okay. No, but, 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 <laughs> but, but it seems like you're still generally positive about the role of crowdfunding. I'm still generally positive about the role of crowdfunding. I'm more interested in what I would call bounded crowdfunding you know which is where you know the local pizzeria wants to expand so they borrow half the money from the bank and half the money from the community who then get paid back in discounted pizza for you know some amount something like that so where where you get these multiplier effects so that if i give a hundred dollars to the pizzeria that by the time they finish with their expansion i get 120 dollars of pizza i got a 20 dollar return on my money and the pizzeria has a local advocate so now i'm investing in a better downtown a better main Mm. street a better pizzeria that i get to eat at you know so i've increased my quality of life i've made friends with the pizzeria owner i've gotten a better return so i start to see that same that twenty dollars just doing so much more than getting a lousy t-shirt from oculus rift you know while they go and make a zillion dollars, yeah. so the further removed it is from who I am, you know the 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 and 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 to Yancey's credit, he doesn't want Kickstarter to be people just buying products in advance. Yeah, which know? is what Indiegogo has actually become to some degree. I mean, it's kind of a pre-order site for a lot of these companies. Right yeah. now, pre-ordering it's not a terrible thing. The one good thing about a pre-ordering site, we just got to be clear, that's what it is. It's a pre-ordering yeah. site. Is what it does is it gives the 
the product developer the ability to avoid sure. venture capital. So now instead of borrowing $100,000 from a bank that he has to pay back two hundred, or getting 100000 from angels who are now evaluating him at $10 million yeah. and blah, 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 he gets the $100,000 from the people who are going to buy the thing. So and, it's and a, a revenue-based model, and, and there's no more need for venture capital investment. Yeah, but and also on a very pragmatic level, like lets them know how many – things to create in the initial run like right. how many devices to run off exactly it, or whether to do it at all yeah you know and and that's you know that's good and yeah the so now instead of a venture capitalist taking a risk and expecting a 100x return now you have individual consumers taking a $10 $50 $100 risk based on the thing that they that they want to get. Now, how do they get rewarded? I guess the risk is that they get the thing cheaper. You know, in, in an ideal world, the first consumers also become investors. You know, they get a .0001 share in this thing. So if you buy an Oculus Rift ahead of time for, you know, $300 instead of $400, you are also getting some teeny little bit. Value, yeah. So when it sells for a billion, you actually yeah. get some money. This is, is this might be kind of a silly question, but you know I've noticed I've noticed in a lot of the examples that you give, you know, with regards to like the pizzeria that you mentioned, and again, like getting back to that idea of the um, in in the town that you live in, that kind of like local currency, like you're using actual real world examples, it's, right. which, which is which is you know as somebody who's like been so invested in the online community since you know kind of the very early days, I'm wondering why you keep turning to local in the sense of actually being local and actual like people actually do performing these transactions in person well because what i'm trying to do is show people that the digital media environment doesn't just mean the online space mm. that we've transitioned from a television broadcast based society to a digital one. Yeah. And the quality of the world in which we live is different. So you can experience a digital media environment without going online. Mm -hmm. The digital media environment is good and there's bad. The bad is the digital media environment is Donald Trump saying, I want to build a wall between us and Mexico. What is digital but walls but discrete boundaries between things? Are you this? Are you that? Ted Cruz, are you American? Are you Canadian? Yeah. Are you Cuban? Are you this? You know, it's about the, 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 there's all of these different qualities in the way we understand the world. So the, the digital environment is also very peer to peer. Now we're going to start relating mm -hmm. and authenticating with each other. Yeah, we have, you know, the blockchain that you can put on an iPhone with a square or Jack Dorsey technology or something to actually authenticate in a peer to peer way. And, and that all goes along with it, but it's much more about you know people looking laterally, sideways at yeah. one another. So uh, the idea of a local economy to me is very consonant with the ethos of a digital age. I, I was talking to somebody recently. Hands on, you know. Yeah, I was talking to somebody recently about. Um, uh, do you remember? You don't even need to remember the actual movie itself, but just more of the premise. There was uh, that. Uh, uh, it was called um, uh, You Got Mail. Mm -hmm. It was a Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movie, yeah. and they both own bookstores, and he like worked for like the Barnes & Noble Borders, and she had the local mom and pop bookstore, and the threat at the time were that these big bookstores were going to come over and take over the mom and pop stores. Um, and it's funny, like, you know, like a, a, a decade or a decade and a half later to see the models change so much, but... Um, 
it's also interesting, and I, I don't know if, if this is coming to fruition. I've, I've heard rumors on both sides, but the idea of Amazon getting back into the physical bookstore space is fascinating. The like the amount that that industry has shifted over 15, 20 years from, from big chains to big chains not being a threat anymore to everything going online to now them filling up the vacuum. I mean, is that the sort of ping-ponging that's going to continue to happen between the sort of like the digital space and the real world? Yeah. I mean, the the it's much easier to understand if you look at it in terms of capital, in terms of what vertical is moving into what other vertical yeah. and all. You know, and I am a reluctant economist. You know, I was a that's a good book name right there. Yeah, the reluctant, the reluctant economist. economist. Yeah, well, that's good. That's what yeah. they they should the cover story yeah. on uh, on the Forbes. Yeah, of me, absolutely. The reluctant economist because I was a psychedelic, cyberdelic, Mondo yeah. two thousand reading boing yeah. boing mutant. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a happy mutant and happy. You know, in that sort of surprises free- me that you say was. Well, because I could be. I was a professional one. Put okay. it that way. Okay. And, you know, around the t- – was the, the day that Steve Case bought Time Warner with his, you know, about-to-crash AOL Do you shares, remember that? Do you remember the, the confusion about the fact that AOL was buying Time Warner, not the other way I remember not being confused at okay. all. <laughs> we and were in a different place at I that point. I was called that morning by the yep. New York Times, and they asked me to write an op-ed about this. So I wrote the op-ed that said um, – AOL is cashing in its chips, that this means that the dot-com boom is over. This is the beginning of the end. And the Times called back and said, we can't run this. You know, we even showed it to our business people. They say, you're crazy, (laughs) that this is a great thing, that this means that the digital economy is real. And I'm like, no, this means it's fake. This means it's over, that they're buying something real because they don't really have anything, because all they have is a subscriber base that they can't even hold on to. This is the beginning of the end. They wouldn't publish it. So I sent it over to the Guardian of London, you know, which was a smaller paper at the time, mm-hmm. at least in terms of the U.S., but at least it got published. So I, it's on the record. Yeah. But um, no, I understood that that's exactly – that was the beginning. But that was the moment that I realized in order to write about this stuff, I'm going to have to understand how business works. Yeah. You know, so that was what, 1999, 98? Yeah. You know, that it flipped. And I resisted it before then. You know, the the other big moment was, um, you know, the day that Netscape went public, Mm -hmm. 1995. Yeah. Same day that Jerry Garcia died. Huh. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's wow that is a perfect that's a perfect microcosm of you as a happy mutant right the, like the guy the long strange journey is over exactly <laughs> exactly it was almost like okay that the way yeah. that wow. the way that the the internet had sort of retrieved the values of yeah. the 60s it was almost like okay that's the moment that Oh, those values. We're gonna let those go. It's so strange. It's so strange to look back on it now, and to look back in like that that period toward the end of um, Timothy Leary's life when he made sort of made that transition yeah. into like cy- cyberspace as the new version of this. And it, but and you know, I was reading. I think it was in in, in the intro of the book where you're talking about going on uh, Larry King's show uh-huh. and um, you know being the guy who's convincing them that this isn't just a thing for Trek anymore. Right. And the, and that like at the time, and, and certainly like I, I think. I, I, I don't even think there's a question that, that the internet has been a net positive for most of us, you know, just in terms of like accessibility and all these yeah. other wonderful things that have happened. But 
um, in a certain way, when I when when I look back at like you in that that time period, and when I look back, when you're saying to me that I was a happy mutant, it's so you can kind of look at, at the internet as being like the really cool like punk band before they went big that like you know the internet was like way cooler before everybody knew about it right that it was just like special little thing that weirdos had and it's not as special anymore because now it's like it's like water from a faucet well it was special because we had to sign an agreement before we went on saying we're not going to do anything commercial on there because we understood that if you turn it into a commercial space, it's going to change its very fabric. Yeah. I was at the meeting of the four A's, the Advertising Association of America, whatever they call that thing, on uh, uh, in 1994, where the head, the, the CEO of Procter & Gamble got up and said, if we don't make the internet about advertising, we're going to lose everything. You know, and they did. You know, yeah. it started with double click and banner ads and all, yeah. but in the end, it is about the advertising and marketing industry, and they've they've maintained their hold over it, and that's, you know, not going to work long term. The mm. reason why is advertising and marketing has never accounted for really more than five percent of the total GDP. Usually, it's more like two or three. You know, and some could argue that it peaks sometimes at over four percent, but that's just being so generous to it. It never does. So if it's gonna stay at two or three or four percent of GDP, how is it gonna support Google and Twitter and Facebook and all these things? It can't. Yeah. It can't. It's the same way we know that all the streaming television shows we're getting, they're not being supported by the revenue of the companies, they're being supported by venture capital. You know, this is you're never gonna have so much TV again ever in your life. But 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 isn't but you know, wasn't it the these sort of like capitalist forces that made the internet so ubiquitous in the first place that made data speed so quick that like rolled them out all these different communities? It made it faster and more video friendly. And just but, more accessible in areas that maybe it wouldn't have gotten to as quickly. Yeah, but with way more money than they needed to use for yeah. it. You know, and that's why they're asking for something back. You know, they didn't – it wasn't like, oh, we're going to wire up the world because we really care about the digital divide. You know, and there's places – I mean, they're smaller. South Korea did it without the VC. Yeah. They just did it. But but I guess, I, you know, and I think this speaks to something that you talk about in the book is like, yeah, I mean, I, there need to be certain, like, capitalistic forces to drive the thing forward. It can't be the end-all, be-all. Right. But it can't also just be like, hey, everybody should have the internet. Let's give everybody the internet. There has to be some compromise between the two. Right. Or we have to pay for what we have. Yeah. You know, but right now it's those Silicon Valley, San Francisco 60-somethings in those awful sweaters that you see in, on, on Mike Judge's show. You know, those kind of people yeah. who are making all of the decisions about how this works. And they're making all the decision based on how do I get a 100x return from this thing? I don't care if it lasts or not. I don't care if it helps people or not. I don't care if it's even a sustainable business. I just want to get out. So people are starting businesses. Talk to the kids who are doing the startups. They're doing them with 18-month time horizons. They are not doing it to create a, a company or a job or a thing that they want to do. They're creating a thing that they want to sell. You know, and when we're just when companies are made to be flipped, it's like a neighborhood that's just apartments that you're going to flip or just run on Airbnb. Just not a world you want to live in. 
Yeah, I think I think one of the things that you, you do well, though, uh, it's, it's it's funny. Like you know, I, I just got the book, so I'm mostly talking about the intro. But you know, one one of the things you do well, and and I think that it's it's important for you to to make this case is because again, the um, you know, and it, there, that's actually the CEO of the company. I think just just walked by. Uh, you know, in, in a sense, it is kind of an extreme title on the face of it, right? I mean, it's like. Th- throwing well, rocks. throwing rocks at the Google bus is meant to say not we should throw rocks yeah, yeah. at the Google bus, but to say look what it's come to. Yeah, that people are actually Google was the good guys. Well, that's but that's <laughs> what I'm saying, you know. And it's almost it's it's almost like a, like what is it the, the situationist thing like the yeah. the stone what is it I can't I can't remember you know what I'm talking about the stone by the river or yeah. something like that. But 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 what you do is you know you immediately kind of paint the picture of like. Like I know these people. Like these, many of these people are friends of mine, and they're like, you know, and they're they're driving through these kind of like depressed areas, and they know what's happening, and you know, and they and, know they're part of an engine that's sure. extracting value and making it harder for their neighbors to actually get by, and that's upsetting them. But at the same time, they gotta work. They gotta make yeah. money now. They're only gonna have two or three years before they burn out at Google anyway. I hate to use yeah. a phrase, but is it the banality of evil? Is that is that what's happening here to some degree? To some degree, it's 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 not that it's it's not the banality of evil as much as the profitability. Of <laughs> Let me at least get my piece now, yeah. and then I'll try to do some good with it after. Yeah, you know. So you yeah. end up with these people with really bifurcated lifestyles, yeah. which again is super digital. I see these super rich people doing awful marketing and 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 data mining and stuff for Facebook or Cisco or this or that. Meanwhile, they go home and they're feeding their kids super organic stuff, and they have a goat share and solar panels and it's like you know you wouldn't have to be that good if your work wasn't that bad hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> were, were you, you um you, you know as somebody as somebody who's been involved in it for for this long and and you know i assume that you had plenty of opportunities to get into like various businesses on the on the ground level was that ever something you seriously considered no i mean i would take someone's money but 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 you but you've always been (laughs) but you've always been content to be the guy over in the corner like writing the books about what's kind of going on and and you know and and talking to people about it but you don't want to be the guy in the suit in the office this i make a living yeah so what's the problem here yeah am i gonna stop thinking and writing no so i guess if I wanted to make a lot of money so I wouldn't have to do anything anymore. I would have adopted a different yeah. role. You know, so it's like I I need to win a bet. If I can win one big bet, then I'm on easy street. Or, yeah. You know, so that model just never – you know, it's funny. Uh, uh, one of the venture capitalist guys, I had lunch with him at the Four Seasons at South By last year or the year before. And he said to me, oh, Doug, you've got such a shtetl mentality. Meaning like the little village that yeah. your old Jewish grandparents yeah. came from. That you're just gonna you're gonna sit there, you're gonna be working your whole life. Which is as if know, it's fair. this really sad thing. <laughs> yeah. As if it's a sad thing and it's like, yeah, but Yeah. You know, I'm lucky I'm not digging ditches. Although, you know, I'd be stronger probably and healthier sure. if I did. Um uh well, nice ditches, not the kind that they make people dig. But um I get to Think about stuff. I get to write books. I get to blah. I think you're like me it. too, and I think you'd be unhappy if you weren't working. Yeah, I, I mean, and I just can't see being, you know, like Andreessen. You know, how could you go? He was he was making stuff. Yeah, 
it's so much more satisfying as a human being yeah. to be engaged making rather than to be uh, uh, watching and extracting. It's just not. Uh, it's not. It's not. It's not fun, and it's certainly not contributive to to our economy. But there's also a reason why. Um why executives keep being executives and why people keep returning to companies you know it's like if if the end goal is to make them enough money so you don't have to work anymore but there's a reason why people don't just like make their mint and stay away like there's something really just enjoyable in the process of you know of even, being engaged ex- even exactly, in yeah. in the stupidest yeah yeah activities exactly. Yeah, to make your money, you know, to make your money and go away. The problem is, you know, when the 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 people who take that approach, you know, to I'm just gonna get a big yeah. thing, get in, uh, get out, get in, get out, is they end up ruining the the economic landscape yeah. for other actors. You know, so the get in, get out, say scorched clear channel, right? Scorched yeah. earth, clear channel, coming in the FM dial, yeah. scorched earth, everything, destroy all the radio stations, then they go, they yeah. sell the business. Yeah. FM's gone. All the yeah. DJs, the whole thing is. It's or like, Barnes and Noble to get back to that example, right. yeah, just let's ruin the book landscape and, and then go, go bankrupt. Yeah. yeah. Um, l- let me let me ask you this, and, and l- let's close on this, so so you you can get going. But this gets back to something that we were talking about earlier that I'm uh, curious about. Um, and I was thinking about this reading the book was, uh, you know, it, I mean, it is it's it's a financial book. It's a, it's an it's an economic book, but it's not a book about necessarily about like, you know, again, how to make your million bucks, as most right. of these books are. Um, and, you know, and you said, you know, maybe the executive flying on the plane could potentially be, uh, you know, a, a consumer, a reader, I guess. Is they the can right be. And luckily, but, I mean, Fast Company wants yeah. this book. Uh, uh, Harvard uh, Business Review wants to write about it. But, but who, is, so they who, understand who are you that. thinking about when you're writing the book? Like, who, 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 is, who is this for? I mean, I know, it, obviously, it's for, for like a wide swath of people, but ultimately, who is a book like this best serving? Because there's a certain amount of... It, you know, in order to, it seems like I know you're going to tell me I'm wrong in this, and I probably am. But in order to, um, you know, really kind of affect some of these changes in a meaningful way, you it helps to be the person in charge of things. It helps, but you know, I have a whole section in there where I'm explaining how do you, as a cog in the machine, yeah. as someone who's got a cubicle, how do you help? Augur the transition that we all want to have happen. How can the decisions that you make help steer the giant ship that you're working for in the right direction? How can you express a different models of value creation in a meeting? How can you explain, oh, look, yeah. why don't we do this in a way, but why don't we let the people uploading the videos have a piece of the profit from it? And why? Yeah. And how can you explain that how that will make more revenue for your company and how can you convince your boss that it was his idea right well that's uh, (laughs) that's always the thing but right how do you make these arguments so i mean i look at the book as is as you know primarily it's for all the people who've been automated and outsourced and who can no longer get by Mm. you know so it's teaching them how does the digital landscape actually work and how could you build a business that's actually sustainable Mm. over time so it's really for that sort of subsidiarity based kind of distributed model it's for the CEOs who can actually implement and I give a whole bunch of sort of models for creating little uh, prototype experiments in 
uh, uh, more uh, kind of circular transactional revenue streams? You know, what could a bank do in a community? What could a supermarket do? What could a Walmart do? Just put a shelf of locally produced goods yeah. in Walmart. Yeah. And how would you, how would you, how would, what would the business model for that be? So a lot of those, a lot of stuff for investors about why you know, the investing they're doing isn't working and how would alternative investing strategies work you know and then for people for mayors and people in communities how can you restore the sanctity of of you know local stewardship of shared resources it's it, it, it's interesting because you use you use the word disrupt before but it seems like the the ideal i mean everybody's talking about disruption it's the name yeah. of the big tech crunch show everybody wants to be disrupting unicorn but it seems like the ideal thing you know when you talk about walmart you're not talking about walmart changing its business model you're talking about them taking small steps and it's it's um it's sort of like gradual disruption it's subtle disruption it's it's um uh geological disruption over time it's like what small steps can you take without pulling the rug out from under people right well without pulling the rug out from under your shareholders yeah you know when i talk a lot about how ceos can communicate differently to shareholders so they can understand, oh, maybe we'll get something more like preferred stock where we get a big dividend every month rather than just wait for the growth to go up. But yeah, it's it's for them, it has to be incremental. But I'm also trying to scare them too, the giant corporations to say, look, yeah. you know, um, before there's blood in the streets, yeah. you better show that you are on at least participating yeah. in a more distributed economic scheme or it's up. You know, yeah. the fact that Winco is putting Walmart out of business, yeah. you know, in many areas yeah. now with a platform cooperative version of Walmart um, should prove to them that they need to do what Harvard Business School calls, you know, hybrid strategies. You take a two prong or you don't abandon your regular business, but you start to do small scaled experiments with other mm-hmm. things so that you're still um so you've got some skin in that game as well. The fact that, that Twitter is having as much trouble as it is right now should be a red flag for everybody. It should be a red flag for everybody. You know, it should be. You know, and, and I mean, most of us, I think, saw the writing on the wall for yeah. them. You know, there was no way to take in that much capital. Yeah. You know, Facebook is going to be in the same position eventually. At some point, you know, the phone book of the world can only make so much value. Finally, there's only so much people, so much time, so much resources. You can't grow the economy forever. Eventually, you reach a sustainable equilibrium. And that's what we have to accept, that we're there. And we have Hmm. to transition towards an abundance-based economy rather than this sort of scarcity-based marketplace. And... Locality will be a big part of that. Yeah, but the digital media environment is the ideal landscape mm. to start working on that rather than the, uh, the industrial landscape that we were in before. There you have it. That was Douglas Rushkoff. Thanks so much, Douglas, for taking the time to do that. Always, always a fascinating conversation with Douglas. That was the second time we've had him on the show. Uh, we had him last time. He had a book out. He has a brand new one out right now. It just came out a week or two ago. It's called Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus, How Growth Became the Enemy of Prosperity. Highly recommend that and, and anything else by Douglas. Uh, also, highly recommend interviewing him because um, very... Uh, 
very very little in the way of, of, of heavy lifting when you speak with Douglas. You just kind of ask him a question and, and then watch the, the fire hose of, of brilliance spout off. Uh, so thanks so much, Tim, for taking the time to do that. Thanks to Brian, as always, for editing the show together. Thanks, everybody, at the Boing Boing Podcast Network. If you like the show, many other fine podcasts for you to check out over at boingboing.net. You can also check them all out over at iTunes. And while you're over at iTunes, you should take the time to rate the show if you liked what you heard. This is... Uh, this is a currency for us. This is how we get and get more people on the show, sending them a, a link to the iTunes page and showing them all of the wonderful five-star reviews that we have over there. So please take the time to do that. Uh, take the time to follow us over at Facebook. Uh, you can uh, send us an email. It's rylcast at gmail.com if you have any feedback. Uh, you can uh, also follow us over at riylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your RIYL-related information. Uh, I think that's about all I got for this week, so uh, stick around. We'll be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL. RIYL.